Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 13 of the Art Proof Podcast. 13 is unlucky for some, but the sun is shining and the pubs are reopening soon, so feeling quite optimistic with this one. This time around, we're joined by Isabella Summers, aka Is a Machine. Isabella rose to prominence as part of the band Florence and the Machine and has since enjoyed an extremely varied career that has included collaborations with Cy Twombly and Beyonce. We talk about her artistic beginnings as part of the South London Squat Art Collective Wow Wow, as well as her latest project producing the soundtrack to the new Amazon series Little Fires Everywhere. She tells us about her time touring with the band and how she turned it into a global gallery tour which ignited her interest in classical painters. Me and Isa go way back and we also spend a bit of time talking about our days spent partying and making music in South East London at a time when it didn't cost the earth to live there. We also talk about the loss of Isa's father which happened early in lockdown. She tells us about what a strange experience it is to lose someone so close at such a strange time and also what a big influence he has been on her creativity. As always, listen through to the end for how to get in touch, and we hope you enjoy the show. Sorry about being late and messing around with the internet and all the rest of it. Oh my god, who has a meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Monday still? Is that still a thing? Don't, just don't. Okay. Okay. Where, where are you? I'm in my grandma's house in North London. Are you in Highgate? In Highgate. Well, I'm in a shell of a house. It's really weird, look. Yeah. So like, I'm like literally getting the last dregs of this amazing five-story townhouse before it goes. And then, yeah. you, and then where, where are you off to? I don't know, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Momentarily back to my mum's house. It's a long story. Yeah, I do have enough. a flat, but I'm just cho- choosing not to live in South London anymore. Don't do that out loud. Uh, Wait, isn't one of you from South London? And hasn't Eric just left as well? So. Yeah, boo. South boo. <laughs> Nick's coming though. Nick's coming. Nick's I'm coming. Are you? Yeah, it's all change. All change. It's, it is, but it isn't. I went. I was there yesterday. I have to say, it's made of magic in South London. I I absolutely still love it down there. I have a studio that I've had for 14 years that me and Eric made a lot of rap music in. Oh, and, um, okay. Crystal Palace. Yeah, in Crystal Palace. And, um, and because it's still lockdown, I was like, shit, I want to go and move all my records. I didn't realise how many records I had. I was like literally drowning in Eric B and Rakim records yesterday going like, oh my God, <laughs> listen to all these vinyls. Like who invented record? It's so stupid. Yeah. It's so heavy. <laughs> Worst things to move, records and books. And, and bricks. I, and I've, I've literally got a lifetime of both. Yeah. How long have you had that studio? It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, 2005. Oh, nice. Lucky. What year are we in? Who's the president? 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Want to remember? 15 years. I've had my studio for 16 years. Or 15 years, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't been redeveloped or something. No, well, they, they stay. So, Jakob, the Icelandic, like, rainbow hippie who whose dad owns the property, was like, you can have it for a dirty rehearsal room, but just let the building f- f- fall to the ground so that I can get planning permission. So, <laughs> 15 years, every year, it's like, next year, next year is happening. <laughs> and, like, it's like a bodge job of like another floorboard goes and it's even more deathifying than the one before, but like they're just like patch it over and like patch yeah. the best. But all, yesterday yeah. I went there and I was like, like got to, like to sort it out and it, and there was nobody there. Cause now like 
London is so busy wherever you are, I think. It's really? like insane. Don't, don't you, well, just before lockdown, it was getting to a point of like it being uncomfortable, I thought. It's full. London's full of people. It's it full. always has been. But yeah, that's the thing. It's so nice right now. So I, mean, I went there yesterday and I locked, and I locked um, like me and my mate Jared in the gate. And like, it was like we had the whole place to ourselves again. It was so good. Oh, the good old. Oh, I can't be like this all the time, then I definitely have <laughs> London. There were a lot of the um, original residents there of Antenna Studios. Yeah, and they all look exactly the same. I walked in, I walked in, you'll love this, Eric. I walked in and Johnny was, Johnny, who's probably pushing 50, who fixes guitars and builds amplifiers, was sh um, shotting weed out of a Coke can. <laughs> and I was like, yes! yes! Some things never change. Right. About South London, it retains this kind of, you know, it is a, the home of the sort of freaks of London, I suppose. Easy. <laughs> yeah, and that's why that's why I moved to North because I was like, I need to, I need to just feel like I'm up in my game in some way. Yeah. <laughs> you started lockdown in LA. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I've been in LA all this year, um, yeah, which was, I didn't really do lockdown though, because like I did lockdown in LA and then managed to get on a plane to England halfway through mm. because my dad died, sadly, oh. and then um, and then we managed to have a funeral <laughs> and now I, then I've been in Albury and commuting back to London, so I'm like, what rules? You've Sorry. been back in the town that you grew up in, in Suffolk. Yeah, oh my God, so weird. Literally going from Hollywood to Albra, with like, <laughs> and like all the things that go with all of them in the middle. It's so weird. Mm. This year has been so weird. So what, why, why were you in LA? How come the move to LA? I score, I, so, you know, obviously I've been in a band for um, 10, 14 years. Yeah. And oh. then um, I managed to make friends with... Quentin Tarantino's music supervisor Mary Ramos and she was like I basically said I wanted to do some score for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I got I was all over it and she basically tried really hard to get me on that movie um but Quentin used all the original stuff uh sorry all, you know score that soundtrack that had been used before yeah so she okay. was like but you you can you can be a composer and Hollywood is hot for women right now. So let's get it. So she basically right. like got me a job um, scoring a TV show called Little Fires Everywhere. Eight episodes of television. And uh, and she was like, I'm going to need you in LA. I'm going to need you here. So like she basically was like, you got to you got to figure it out. I don't care how you do it. Just be in LA. Yeah. So I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I went on December. I went on December the thirtieth. One way ticket. Like packed a bag for a week, of course, and yeah. then like begged, borrowed, stole until somebody actually lent me a house. <laughs> and then, it's a it's a long story, but I ended up borrowing this house in the valley, and I was like, this is sick. I'm not leaving until I get a second job. Then I got a third, then I got a fourth, then I was like, now I'm not leaving to oh, make wow. a movie. What's well, that? And all these were the TV soundtracks, these second Yeah, TV, yeah, scoring TV shows, yeah. It's amazing yeah. It, how right. it just, like, like I, I threw a stone and, like, yeah. Um, and then and then my dad died. <laughs> and it was like, boom, back to England. 
That's um, right. He was a lovely, lovely man. I, I was lucky enough to meet your dad a few times, and he was a lovely, lovely guy. Um, and that must have been really, really strange and difficult. Dude. Honestly, I don't know if any of you have lost a parent. It's the weirdest thing. Has anyone lost a parent? No. No, no. you've all got both parents. Yeah. Wild. Honestly, just be prepared. It makes you really realise how, like, fine, like how short a time we have actually on this planet. And you know, just. Yeah, he was such an amazing human being. And he, you're so busy with the kind of, like, movie that plays out in front of you of that human being. Like, whatever it is that they're into or the way they wear two hats or, like, he always had a radio in his pocket with a play going or, like, shuffling out the door in his neon coat to go for bike rides and, like, you know, always recording something and, like, you know, trying to get me to, like, look at this, the back of this book that he was trying to sell or whatever, because he was a book dealer. And then, you know, like, then it really sinks in, like, who that human being was. And that, it makes you really reevaluate what you are and what you think about what love is and, like, how you hold things in and the you know, and how you cherish it's a, it's a lot, but, um, yeah, it's been wild. And, like, for about, um, for about a month after he because he died like literally he just dropped dead so it was like I, you know I kept facetiming my family from Hollywood from this massive house with like this massive new career that was just like mm. going from like one to the next and I was like literally like here's Hollywood and you can have whatever you want but I'm gonna need a soul and I'm gonna need the best one you've got it literally felt like someone had played a really bad trick on me and you know when you facetime your parents in lockdown you're like Okay, just everyone, is everyone okay? Okay, everyone's okay? Good, you're good. Mm. I think we were literally arguing the day before about me getting songs right from certain musicals. Like, oh, you, you're never going to get the job if you don't read the book. Super, <laughs> <laughs> um, super sudden. Yeah, he had a stroke. And, like, actually, what happened, What since in since then, now everyone I've spoken to is, like, you're, you're lucky he didn't survive it because it would have been super weird. So, like, in a way, he did a proper rock star move, lived fast, died too young, left a good-looking corpse, <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and like we didn't have to deal with any sort of weird shit. It's just, like, it was, like, and I'm out. <laughs> you know, what a fucking amazing man and an amazing legacy. And I just I found myself in L.A. in those two days after the shock of finding out that he died in this kind of, like, with all my... Shakespeare books and like plays everywhere and like my makeshift studio and like you know all the music that I love listening to and you know and I, it's just all because of him really so so the legacy yeah. like lived on I guess he was a massive influence on you musically wasn't he yeah he did he made mixtapes he made mixtapes yeah I remember the from, mixtapes like before they have, like, I used the little sea shanties on them and stuff like that yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sea shanties, and then like you find like a bit of Doctor Who, and then it would go into like Jimi Hendrix, like you know, like some weird, rare like box set of Jimi Hendrix where you could just like you could only hear like like the the harmonics of his guitar or something for like 48 <laughs> CDs, and it would be like you know whatever, and then or like or like the Beatles at Abbey Road, but like only honing in on like John Lennon's loafers walking. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the weird shit. Like, or then it would be a bit from, he was really into, he was really into what, so he sold books and he was really into like 
plays and poetry and like being like a hipster in like growing up in the 60s and 70s in London he was actually a, a dustman for a bit and he managed to get into to RADA and like so all of the like literature and poetry and stuff he would splice in with all these weird with all this weird music and all these mixtapes and he was doing it way before I was born so he'd always be hunched over with seat with a CD like or tape deck recording rewinding everything onto tape and like getting that exact section of that thing and so I grew up with like I mean literally he's left me basically like me and my little brother have been stacking up boxes and boxes and boxes just his recordings of CDs that he's been listening to to like narrow down to these things. It's amazing. Was that for his own pleasure or was yeah. he doing something with those tapes? No, just solely that's no, what made him Yeah, it literally was just what he loved. And like he wrote poetry. We found all of his diaries from like the summer of 69 when he was 19 years old. And like he wrote poetry since then and like never really, you know, I get a poem for my birthday or for Christmas every year everyone would and, and like always brilliant but like yeah I mean you don't they don't you just like don't get dudes who like are into poetry like the romance of poetry <laughs> like that anymore do you know what I mean it's hilarious I'm glad I had like a father yeah. who was like that it must have been really difficult dealing with it all in a global pandemic I mean I don't know if you want to talk what the about fuck? what the fuck is going on yeah but i mean stuff like the funeral and stuff like that must have been extremely difficult to to organize and well i mean they live by the sea on the east coast of england and he my grandparents so his parents are buried in a in a forest they have a new forest so like they basically like plant a tree on you when you die so like there's a whole forest growing and when we and he was and so like literally there were like five of us and and we planted planted a tree on him it's quite sweet I went but I, like poor guy two days later a new Bob Dylan song came out and I was like damn it <laughs> so I went to his grave and I put it on his grave and it was just like I had this real Hamlet moment and I was like literally in this forest on my own in the middle of fucking nowhere like listening to Bob Dylan, it was just so weird. Weird, weird times. But the yeah, the pandemic. I don't know. Is there? Is it very noticeable? Does it feel so in somewhere like London? It's obviously very noticeable. People are walking around in masks and gloves and keeping their distance because it's so built up and overpopulated. I suppose in somewhere like Albury, there's this small seaside town. Would it be quite easy to forget that it's happening? What? No. Oh my God, no. No, no, no. It's more like pitchforks. Like really? That's a, that's a number plate I haven't seen. Call the police. <laughs> oh, right. uh, excuse me. Can you stand back behind the line, please? They take one look at me. They're like, she's not. I'm like, I fucking grew up here. Sorry. Excuse my friend. Um, but no, I was in LA and and Los Angeles. It was mandatory. We lo locked down way before England locked down. So you guys were all late to the party, and we totally were. Yeah. And then also, they made it. They literally made it mandatory to have coverings on your face from the from the minute it went like the beginning of March, basically. And then they shut down all beaches, hiking trails, like anything that was recreational. So when I came back to England on April the twenty fourth right next to Hampstead Heath and everyone was like basically in bikinis on top of each other. I was like, are you guys mad? 
<laughs> on a death wish. So actually, I think like it, you know, America kind of like right, absolutely not nothing. Stay inside, you know, or or else. And then England's like, hey, we can still have a couple of beers. No, that's like less than five. <laughs> but then then you get to Auburn and it's like yeah probably best not to leave the house oh, so how does it feel to be back in London weird actually I came back yesterday to start working on my packing up my studio and it was actually really nice I had like a massive nostalgic tour driving in through New Cross and Peckham and like all the places we used to hang out in yeah. we went past the, the, the busy building the co-op yeah, and then and then all the way through to Crystal Palace and it just still feels really magical in South London I have to say and then and then the drive back to this this house which I've loved living in but it's now like over as well so yeah I don't know I don't know how I feel about London if it well, I think on a grey day on a hot day it feels too hot to be here and then on a grey day it feels kind of still a bit weird and sinister I don't know what do you guys think London's a bit, you're not there. Are you yeah. guys in London right now? I am. Um, London's the only one, really. <laughs> I love it. Uh, like I say, it's a bit nicer. It's a bit quieter. It still seems busier than it should be, but it's a bit quieter. But yeah, I love it. Um, Isn't that weird, the, the concept of it being busier than it should be? Because, yeah. like, we're about to have all of Oxford Street open up again. Well, yeah, that does seem mad, yeah. And, and Doesn't it seem mad? It's back when they haven't sorted out the tests and the tracking thing and yeah it's a hard one to call isn't it because then there's the problem with the economy people just getting depressed or losing work jobs but then there's also such a fine balance yeah Yeah. well I sort of like smashed it smashed my career move at the exact right time I have to say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like literally like for a musician to like going to film school right before a lockdown when everyone's watching tv it was like yeah yeah mm, this is great actually are they are they <laughs> on your door saying when are you coming back Get back. yeah 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 they're all well yes and no i mean you know obviously one thing is leading to another with the world right now so i think everyone's a little bit like whoa but um yeah i will eventually have to go back to la I guess they love visibility. They yeah. just love to know that you're around the corner. Do you know what I mean? If, even if they never see you, <laughs> yeah. it's just weird, weird and cool. And how how is LA? How is Hollywood to live in? You well, when I was, I did live there before. When when Florence and I were in the height of our success, I moved to Beechwood Canyon, and I had a studio in Echo Park. So those two places are like, they were very kind of like. It was sort of like super fun still then. There wasn't really that much hipster shit in in Echo Park. This was in like 2013, I reckon I moved in, or 2012. And I had such a good time. Spent all my money. Had to come back to England. (laughs) Lived there for three years. And like, you know, when I lived in LA, there was... um, one Starbucks in a laundromat in Echo Park, and that was the coffee oh, shop. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, completely changed. So being lent a house this year was a pretty good turnout, and it was possibly the only way that I would have stayed. 
you know, it's good fun living rent free. <laughs> Not <laughs> to worry about anything. Your creative career started in London, I suppose, when you started. Yeah, film. you were right there. Yeah, but you studied film at St Martin's, didn't you? I did. And that was Before around I mentioned. that you were also involved with or part of the whole Wow Wow Collective. Yes. So do you remember? Do you remember I the bar inside Seventy Two? Well, yeah. It was, you know, it was you. I mean, to mention people who have kind of gone on to have more established careers, but you, Matthew Stone. Yeah. You, Boo Savile, people like that. Yeah. Uh, so, can you tell us a bit about that? People who aren't aware of that whole thing. Well, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> we were in. We were in. Uh, well, I don't exactly. I remember my friend Tara living with Matthew in a big shared house on Lordship Lane. Dave Ashby, Matthew Stone, Boo, Ellie, Gareth Pugh lived there. The Ludes were were a thing, and <laughs> and you and your brother Gabriel. And I remember trying. I was trying to get into drama school, and I couldn't get into drama school. I think, I, but I was also trying to be a DJ, and I was trying to make hip hop music. I don't really know. Rap, rap, rap. Yeah, and we used to rap on my beats. Um, <laughs> it began like I think I came to live with Tara on a Saturday, or like they let me stay in the cupboard. So I slept in the cupboard on the weekends, and then Matthew found me a like one of those eighties fold out one seat chairs that fold into a bed and he found one in a skip (laughs) (laughs) and so I basically slept on that in the cupboard and then I like sort of elbowed my way into the house and then I went from cupboard to one cupboard to two cupboards and then I had my deck set up (laughs) in one of the cupboards and then I I was working part-time for Dan Greenpeace yeah. And then I try, and then I gave up trying to get into drama school because I just wanted to be creative for three years, and everyone else was already at art school. So I basically ended up get. I was doing a part time foundation at St Martin's, and then, then um, I got into St Martin's, and then we, um, while I was at St Martin's studying fine art, the fourth dimension, because it wasn't just film, lol. Right. And that was when St Martin's was on Charing Cross Road. So my uh, campus yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. was like what which is now what foils books yes yeah Yeah. the old lazaridis gallery was as well so good so like it was more it wasn't really college it was more like a drop-in center and then the and then the actual it was just like yeah come in and show us what you're up to but just do what you want so i think i spent three years making films with me killing myself because i've all worked out how to make blood loads of fake blood and like it, I worked out how to make a split a tool on the, on the in special effects where you could split the screen so I could have two of me, <laughs> and I just kill myself in every film. And then me and you, and then me and your brother Gabriel. Yeah. We we I wanted to, to I had two cupboards at that point. I remember the cupboards. I remember cupboards filled with musical equipment and shoes. You had yeah, stilettos and an MPC. Like mountains of stilettos and musical equipment around. And that was exactly the same. With these shoes. <laughs> How did you and your brother get involved, Eric? How did you get involved with this? Uh, we were all at art school together. So Gabriel was at Camberwell, and I was at Camberwell a couple of years below him. So we all met at art school. And so the Wow Wow thing all existed in squats around 
South and Tunnel when he could do that. So they, yeah, these big exactly. parties and big exhibitions in these squats, one of which was the, the co-op. Yeah. Basically, the- Matthew Stone was like, you know, a bit thrifty and he'd figure he figured out how to break into buildings you know as a student but like ones that hadn't been occupied for years and then he changed the locks and then section six that shit real quick and like yeah. he he had the audacity like no one else would to break into not just a like you know a house but a six-story building in in peckham that had an entire church on the top of it that was derelict. The floor below it was an entire like bodybuilders like gym, yes. with complete with like saunas and um, suntan beds. And then the floor below it was a disused nightclub that still had the TVs fuzzing when we moved into it, and it had a whole <laughs> theater built into it. I mean, it was no joke. And then then there were, then there was all the shops at the bottom, and he changed the locks, and like we just all moved into it. <laughs> and it was like, of course, like Matthew, yeah. like had the cheek to fucking do. And then the landlord turned up and was like, "Yeah, sure, just look after it." <laughs> but then we had a, we had these parties, so that's when me and Eric started hanging out all the time. And, and we drive in my car. Thing in London, you know. I mean, I don't think you could get away with that kind of thing now because property is so sought after and so expensive. You couldn't get away with it. But um, it was quite. Although. Cool. I drove through Peckham yesterday and I was like, doesn't look any different. <laughs> oh, I think there, you notice the changes and just, you know, yeah. rent there or trying to buy a property there, you realise how expensive these parts of London are now. Yeah. The developers want to sort of sponge up all this empty space to to make money from, you know. Yeah. But, um, but what I remember about the Bowers was they had these amazing parties. That, oh my god, uh, so much fun. I remember there's like a rumour that George Bush's daughter was at one of the parties or something like that. So there's all these Yeah, probably groups. Dave Ashby or Lester Lloyd brought her. Um, That's when I met Flo for the first time. Yeah. In that squat party where we pulled all the Christmas trees out of people's gardens. It was January and, and everyone had thrown out all the Christmas trees. So we took them all and we put we built a forest in the nightclub, as you do. I remember. And then when the police turned up at the part of the four o'clock in the morning, I had my lady as the sound system. Oh, and I'd only wear Adidas tracksuits. And everyone would rap, Harry and and you. Yeah. I don't think I ever had the balls. <laughs> and then Flo was wearing a badge of her uncle's face. And I was like, I know that man. Why are you wearing a badge of that man? And she's like, uncle. Uncle. Craig, Bra- Craig Brown, who is a writer but he's right. friends, friends with my parents from uh, the seaside town. It's all weirdly connected. But that was kind of your introduction into the art world, I suppose. Yes, fine art. Can, yeah. you, can you unveil for us Eric's rap name as he won't tell us? Uh, can you uh, Colonius us Munch. Munch. <laughs> 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 uh, Colonius Munch. Oh, oh God, I was Matilda Screwface. It was a play on Monk, the jazz musician. And then Harry was Ari Asbo. Yeah. <laughs> and then and he's still Ari Asbo as far as I'm concerned. Oh my god. Well really? I said to Eric, I said to Eric we should put one of our tracks. Well we can try and cut this. one to the when I edit it. They're I'll... so good. Oh yeah, yeah. Good they're idea. so good. My beats, well, just saying. They were There's good. One track they were... that we made. 
there's one track that we made where it goes I can't remember the sample, but I'll find it for you. But I never, but I lost the zip disc that I made the beat mm. on. So the beat only exists with us rapping on it. Really? But it's such uh, a good beat. And these are all, <laughs> I do myself. this is all made on the MPC. So it's all on zip. All on the MPC. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You still use an MPC? I don't actually, but I, but I still have it. Right. And I, I still, I was like, oh, such a trip down memory lane yesterday. I was like, Literally pulling out all the I used to sample horror film sound effects records, which is ironic because now I'm like scoring horror music <laughs> and trying to make that stuff from scratch. Well, there's always a big horror inf- horror influence in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I want yeah the movie soundtrack shit. like that. Yes. Um, and then music eventually sort of became a lot more serious when you you know were doing the Florence stuff and that that kind of yeah. Thing. But then you sort of eventually found your way back into sort of, I mean, I remember you started painting and then you recently did the Cy Twombly thing. Oh my God, yes. Well, it's so funny talking to you about all this stuff because you've been on this journey like the whole way through, we've been friends. Yeah, I just think it all feeds into everything. Mm. Painting, like, I while we were on tour, this last tour, it tour is so boring, especially when you don't drink. I gave up drinking about a year and a half ago, and I it just like it. And we were we would find ourselves having like full days off in like the most random places, and then it just become a game of like looking at where where the art galleries were, what the you know what you could go and see. And um, I had this. I just have to tell you because it's amazing. I had this moment where. We were in Antwerp in the fucking freezing cold. Like, what the fuck is Antwerp? We're in Antwerp. <laughs> Turns out, like, there's a painter called Peter Paul Rubens, who is an old master who paints hey. these amazing stories from the Bible, stories from Greek myths. And the more you look at art, the more you learn about the history of the world, I think, and storytelling and myth and religion and all the things that make up all the sort of, like, foundations of how we live we had this day in Antwerp and I and you could go to Peter Paul Rubens's house so I made an effort to go in the in the in the um National Gallery in England there's loads of Rubens paintings and they're like they're called like the allegory of divine wisdom or the allegory of whatever and they're just they're they're amazing and so basically I was in I went to Peter Paul Rubens's house and it was like if you like this why don't you go to the cathedral so I went to the cathedral and I was standing in this cathedral in the middle of tour looking at the it was free looking at these in in like seven like 12 foot canvases of like a bleeding dead guy being taken on and uh, taken put on and taken off a cross mm. and it's like the most insane thing you've ever seen like it literally changed my life looking at these paintings that Rubens had done of like of um Jesus being put on the cross and and um and the and the way they're painted and people just don't make art like that anymore and I think from that I was basically like I mean whatever you've got I'm in I'm learning about it and like then you know I'd find myself in the Philadelphia um, art museum, like running up the step, steps like Rocky and like going and looking at a room full of Cytomblies, which are called 50 Days at Ilium, which are like basically scribbles 
yeah, but they're like based on the Iliad. And like from that, you learn about the literature and it all feeds into this one great big creative loop. And it's so amazing. So the Gagosian, I made friends. So I just like love going and punting about and yeah. knowing more than the people in the art galleries. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what do you know about? What do you really know about Peter Rubens? Have you been, <laughs> have you seen Prometheus Bound the painting though? Because I have, because of tour, because I got to go everywhere and go and look at yeah. all the paintings. And um, so, and I do it again in a flash. I really want to do like a whole art tour eventually of just the painting that I've seen. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I made friends with this girl, these girls at the Gagosian, and this is in London. Well, I bought an Ed Ruscher. Yeah, yeah. I bought an Ed Ruscher. I'll send you a picture of it. When I, with um, my publishing money from the last, from the, not this record, but the one before, and I tried to pay for it in DJ money, in cash. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a story that you can put out there. I'll I'll, I'll park that and I'll tell you that off off thing. But I ended up making, they loved it. They loved me trying to buy this $40,000 painting in cash. Picture, (laughs) it's a print that says Jet Baby. And then from that, I made friends with all the people at the Gagosian. And then then I got invited to a dinner in England and like some people would turn their nose up at that because they think that art galleries are, are snooty, but I fucked with everybody. I, mean, I don't care who you are. Gagosian is one that's probably seen as one of the snootiest. <laughs> I don't care. I don't give a fuck. From the plot to the bottom, as Chester P. once said, from the plot to the bottom to the dreams at the top. And everyone in between. So, so how did that come about? They invite? Did they invite you to create? A yeah. To accompany this oh. comedy sculpture show. Yeah. So basically, I think I told. I went to a dinner with all these young collectors, and like I basically was like telling them the story about how much I love Caravaggio and the Bleeding Jesuses and heads on plates and all that stuff that they used to paint. And they were all like, who the fuck is this girl? <laughs> who knows about Caravaggio? And so they were like, um, that she told me, she, she's, me and this girl, Tatiana, sort of like hatched a plan to like, basically Cy Twombly w- spent his entire life of painting reading poetry, you know, which kind of weirdly goes all the way full circle to my dad as well and like living by the sea and Twombly moved in the 50s where he would have taken weeks to get to Italy on a boat. And he spent his life there in this little fishing village painting these ridiculously huge scribbles, essentially, that had like kind of like bits of Raina Marie and Brilka poetry and the Iliad and like all, you know, Yeats and Keats and like all these amazing poets. And he spent his entire life kind of honing in on the Greek myths and all of this amazing romantic poetry. And that went through his whole work from the beginning of him starting to paint all the way up until he died. And um, she suggested that I do, and that I, I kind of, we kind of were like, how can we do something? We've got a site on the sculpture project coming up. How can we do something that is, that's gonna, you know, kind of bring all of his ideas and what he was reading like fresh she I was like I was like why don't I make a mixtape like I sent her four of my dad's mixtapes I was like why don't we make a mixtape yeah and I was like why don't we do this why do we that um you know we could like have a snippet of Cy Twombly you know can we get anything with Cy Twombly speaking because like there isn't anything online of Cy Twombly speaking and like 
you know, and then we'll get like like famous people to like read like the poet like we'll get like Sam Jackson to read the Iliad she was like uh why would we get Sam Jackson to read the Iliad she was like she was like I think you should do it and I was like me it's like I make the music you don't want to hear my voice she's like yeah I think you should do it I was like really and then I was like very flattered by it and then I it was like this kind of like it, it was really fun like delving through his works and then like picking out like some of this amazing text that's just like drenched in like you know swan rape and like the sea and like uh you know kind of like existential you know whatever so um so I I kind of like yeah it was really fun and then I I scored it and we had this really awkward, essentially like a silent disco in the yeah. Gertie, <laughs> with just me talking. Was that for one night only as well? Was it just for that event? Yeah. And so she was like, oh, we'll have a dinner and the River, ca- River Cafe going to cater it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so fun. No one's ever done this before. And then, but now we're going to we're going to do it again. I want to turn it into like a whole thing, like, and make it, you know, a huge, like, cinematic experience, basically, Mm. but in an art gallery. Um, Did you get access to, like, archives and stuff, things like that? Did you get access to sort of Cy Twombly archives? There wasn't, no, they, they, I think that it was such a, like, wild card thing for this old school stuffy gallery, like, who are very, like, you know, (laughs) Cy Twombly's no joke, they sell for, like, hundreds of millions of dollars so I think they were like let's take the risk on a really small scale see what you come up with and then we'll see if we can like take it further and of course they just loved it so Mm. so yeah I mean we didn't get too deep into it but I think we're going to she's really excited about after like after we're all locked not locked down anymore okay get back into it in London yeah, it was in London. Yeah, yeah. And the next before, one right before Christmas. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I don't know how how we're gonna do it, but we'd like. I'd like to do it in Italy, if Italy will let us. That'd be fun. Do it in Rome. Tell us, tell us about the soundtrack. So that's the the latest thing you've been working on. I suppose you're in quite good company with people like LP of uh, Company Flow and Run the Jewels and stuff doing soundtracks. The new Capone movie and then. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, is it? Yeah, um, yeah. It's the it's a new not. It's always been quite cool to make soundtracks, but it's kind of it's a legit path for musicians now. Honestly, such a great segue. Yeah, it means that I don't require anyone else. I can just sit mm. and be like as wildly creative as possible. And you get to do it to picture, which means you have to watch TV. It's just yeah. so good. I can't tell you. It's the <laughs> best job ever. What's the actual process? Are you sitting there? So you have this episode of a program with no music on it or anything like that. And then are you just messing about with a keyboard or something? Going, right, let's see if this will work. Let's see how this sounds over it. And That's the second part of it. But the first oh. part, like, because Hollywood is, like, so textbook, it's brilliant because what they do is they use a single temp score. So they like will even like show you what they want the thing to do and yeah. where it's supposed to hit. So like say I like turn to the left and then turn to the right and yeah. then like punch you in the face. There'd be like it would the music that they've already laid out, which they wanted, they would show you where they wanted how it to go. And then you just have to kind of like recreate it. 
storyboard sort of cues for you. Yeah, it's amazing. And like, you know, some, some directors don't, they don't know exactly what, what it is, but like hitting points is really important, but like, you know, it, there's so much to do with like themes with, with scoring that I've learned about. So like, it's essentially like you write one song and then you play, and then you do that, that song in like different, versions like a sad version of that song and then like a happy version of that song and then an angry version of that song and then right or you'll get the you'll you know you'll have discussions like there's very much a committee involved in making television yeah and film i should imagine but like i haven't quite got there yet but i'm close I love it. I've been doing it for like five minutes i'm like <laughs> on my fourth show already fourth show well i ha- I've scored, oh, so I did Little Fires Everywhere. Yeah. Um, which is that's out, the one that's just been released. Yeah, on Amazon. And then um, the next one is a show. I did a sort of like, I did a classic Izza and walked into a bar and met two guys in Hollywood who yeah. were like, hey, we got a TV show. We can <laughs> score it. I was like, yeah, sure you do, mate. Turns out <laughs> that I did. Right. So it's kind of like private sort of TV show that I've been doing that, that you know, they're kind of like got the whole package together and then they're going to sell it. And I think like, you know, it's wild. And then the next one is, uh, I have a show coming up for Netflix, but they literally started filming it like at the beginning of March. So they've just like shut that shit down for now. Yeah, yeah. But that's like coming but now I have um, this show that I'm working on called Panic for Amazon, yeah, yeah. which is really fun because yeah. with Little Files Everywhere, it was basically my film school. So like, you know, it was like, here's Reese Witherspoon, here's Gary Washington. You're going to compose it with somebody who's made 120 movies. His name is Mark Isham and, uh, and it's eight episodes, go. <laughs> And, how and so, like, you know, major network go. And so, like, it was, like, figuring out how time codes work and, like, you know, how all these things. And then, uh, you know, it was very much watching Mark Isham and, like, we would, you know, I'd bring music and then he'd figure out how to make that three-second, three-minute piece of music work or whatever to picture. You know, I sort of, like, learned so much from that process. Yeah. And... Then and then pa- I got panic, and now panic means that I get to be like a little bit more in charge of, you know, how how things are gonna sound and stuff. Panic is it's like got all the things in it, so it's like a young adult straight out of school, um, and it's about dares essentially. Okay. So um, it's like kids daring each other to do shit for a cash prize. And so, you know, there's like all the fun stuff, lots of adrenaline, like, you know, some horror, some like all the stuff, romance. All the good stuff. Yeah. And um, Jack Nicholson's son, Ray Nicholson, is the lead. Oh, right. Okay. And he is the next best thing to Jack Nicholson. He's amazing. So it's really, it's really fun. I watched Easy Rider yesterday (sighs) and Jack Nicholson's incredible. You know, that age. Incredible. I mean, it's, it's Incredible. The Shining. How much so have you given to make each episode? And do they give you the whole series at once or do you get the episodes as they come? Well, you get the episodes as they come. So basically, they you do you sort of like spot an episode 
and then you do um like you kind of like break down each episode then you go supposedly go away and work on it then you get notes you do revisions you come back you do you get given the second one and what's um, the time scale of that well I think that time has gone out of the window somewhat which is why I was like oh my god amazing someone's actually doing something at 10am <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's like um, well, what pretty was it quick the... it's about two weeks an episode oh, and that's wow. like yeah. that's lucky like really they just want shit done quicker than that I think in the real world it would be more like a week no yeah. sleep yeah, yeah it's no yeah. joke I haven't had a day yeah. off it's been quite an amazing thing, really, having like so much great work to do in the but middle how, of all how this madness. How are you balancing that with life, like making sure you still go out and see people and eat properly? And... Yeah, well, I live, I moved back, I moved back in with my mum. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, she's like, dinner's at seven. We're having yeah. frozen meals. I'm like, great, that'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I have I've no life. Right. No life. And how how so that's is that, okay? That's that is okay. Of... You're happy to work, and that is who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so it's fine with definitely... being this busy right now. It's yeah. a blessing because you know, with with making music in in another way, there's no end to like how many times you could be tweaking something, and you know, you're not sure what the dire- if the direction is what you want to be. Doing. You know, you need another person to sit with you and. Yeah. sing a song or like whatever so like this is great because it means you can't think too quickly and you just have to like keep going yeah. keep churning it out there's no time for like indecision which is such a blessing do you prefer working alone compared to the collaborative element i'm missing it a little bit now actually i'm looking forward to writing a song with someone because it's been a while yeah in research in researching you there was um some interviews about oh. forthcoming solo album i I thought I had already a, enough music for a whole record, which was why I was like, this is ridiculous. I've got smash hits that people have slept on for years now. It's about right. time I put them out. And then, then of course, that becomes like, you know, you then you want to better it. I, I, I've got some really amazing stuff. And then I, but then it, then I started doing this scoring and then it sort of like dictated where, what the sound of it is even better now. So like, I definitely have enough material for yeah. my record. I just need to finish it, which means time. So yeah. I like literally like I was like, oh, I've got to fucking work on my own stuff. Like this was like to, on Friday, but I was so tired by the time mm. it came to finishing my cues. Uh, it's coming. So do you think it's a blessing that it didn't come out? Because I was reading these were like 2019 interviews that were suggesting it was going to come out towards the end of 2019. But due to Corona, you wouldn't have been able to sort of like tour it or promote it. I also think like what I would have put out if I had done without being sidetracked massively by tour and then TV would have been so different to. I don't know. I think like there would have still been value in doing it, but I didn't. So now I've really got to get it out this year. Right. (laughs) Just got to do it. Can you tell us about? I wanted to ask you about this just because it's funny and interesting. <laughs> Do you remember when, well, obviously you remember, when you went and did like a sort of producer boot camp thing at Beyonce's house? Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous about that. Beyonce had got all these young producers oh, to come right. in her house. 
And I remember you Skyping me from Beyonce's house, and I was a bit worse aware at the time, thinking this is fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, I literally lived with Beyonce and Jay Z for a minute. That was funny. Oh, so Jay Z is like my number one idol. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I kind of like could recite. I could recite original flavors. Can I get open? Right. Was that was Jay Z, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just checking that I got that right to the loved all these years. And, <laughs> and like, I think you know, it was all about Beyonce, and I was like, oh, like, there was yeah. like a video room, and I was like rapping Jay Z lyrics. Like, <laughs> so long, so I wish I could go back and do that again now. Yeah, yeah. Because it would have been so much different. What? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean. You know, what the hell was I doing? I was like living in a hotel in New York, like having the best time of all time and then going nipping off to the Hamptons to live with Beyonce and Jay-Z for a bit. Those are the days. Right. <laughs> These are the days, but those How are the days. How did it work? They had said like, right, we want you, 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 and you're all coming with us and you work yeah, on stuff. Yeah. So essentially a kind of very lavish production sweatshop. <laughs> 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 basically yeah that's how yeah. music gets made right <laughs> with those with those you know i i think it's just like you know common it's they call them songwriting camps so right. yeah okay camp. what year this? <laughs> 2012 2013 <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. and you've also worked with skinny man i read is that right no, Skinny Man put, oh. oh my God, no. Skinny Man, I gave Skinny Man hey, a Jay-Z CD is Skinny Man, it's amazing. I gave Skinny Man a CD of beats and he, and there was a new era, new era cap shop that just opened up and he pushed me to one side. He literally had a bottle of like Lamborghini or something in his hand. He's like, your beats are so dark. They're too dark. You sound like you live in a cave. And <laughs> he never wrapped on them. But I did do a song oh. with Chester P and Farmer G. I remember. Oh, it never came out. Nice. Yeah. And yeah. I've got I've got Nas verse for my record. From Task Force yeah. to Beyonce. In the research. Yeah. What's that? I said from Task Force to Beyonce. I know, literally. Move. I still know all the words to that rock stars track as well. <laughs> and now I'm learning Hamlet. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? What what are you what are you planning next? Just doing more soundtracks or kind of All of it. I basically like I, I really love my job now. It's so fun doing um, doing scoring. So I just, obviously, I can't wait to get a movie to get going on. In what, I mean, because you've always been talking about sort of directing films. Is that something yeah. you're still trying to pursue? or? I think, like, I, ha- I, I, I was thinking about this two days ago, and I was like, oh, I can't be the person who's, like, half done loads of stuff. Because I've got so many ideas. But I think my record has to happen. And then that will hopefully segue into my movie, which I really want to make. But, you know, it's not like I don't have the... All I need is the time to go, like, this is what I'm doing now. And, like, just shut that shit down and do nothing but that. So, like, for right now, I've got, you know, I'm finishing these shows. Um, I'm excited about that. Mm. And then... I have to finish my record because otherwise uh, my name is Mud and then I would really like to make a movie and if I if I'm too busy I'll just keep putting it off by being too busy. And what kind of movie? Is this a horror movie? What, what type of movie? Uh, I want to make a gangster film. Oh, UK <laughs> yeah. or US? Of course I do. 
Shut up, Eric! <laughs> no, that's great. I think that's good. <laughs> I don't exactly know what something like that. It'll have yeah. it'll have some Iliad in it. It'll mm. be like a sea, you know, a sea, a sea, a raging sea like version of like the gangster movie, whatever yeah. that is. <laughs> well, if you need any extras. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Just like my TV show. Do you have a piece of your own artwork hanging up in your home? And why, if you do? Oh my god, that's so funny. Yes, I do. Oh. I have. Um, I bought a. I won a Ralph Steadman painting in the Chelsea Arts Club. And above it, on t- resting on top of it, I have a tiny little canvas that's about that big, and it's covered in um, gold stars, and it says "Love True" on it. Oh, they look really good together. Yeah, so I just kept it there. Yeah. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. We'll be back very soon with new episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, contact us at artproofpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at artproofpodcast. Thanks.